We're a cozy bunch today, right? The weather's nicer. I think people are out enjoying the sun. But we're going to do that after church, right? Good on, good, good on you guys. Um, really excited to get a chance to share today. So the past few weeks, we've continued on with this theme on love because we centered Easter around love, and we've continued on with this theme of love. Last week, we, you know, I had a chance to share about the story of Hosea yeah. and continued on with this theme. And at the very end, I did pose a question. I said, this love that Jesus has given us and lavished us with, it actually it demands a response. Yeah. And that was where we left it. And I feel like this week is a perfect segue because we're going to go, be going through a story in the New Testament where it's very similar, where this story demands a response. And so we have an opportunity when we hear God's word and we hear from God to respond. So I, like I said, pumped. I actually got to share about this story two years ago uh, when we first started church over on 3rd and Market. But this is way different this time around. It's going to be good. Can we go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes? I want to pray over this time. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity that we have to hear from you, to read your word, God, and to be built up, to be encouraged, to be in your house. So, Father, I ask that you'd bless this time. Speak to us. And I ask that people would be inspired and encouraged and built up in this very moment. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you have your Bible handy, let's hit the ground running. We're going to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 5, verse 17. We're going to read verses 17 through 26. We will have that up there for you. In some of your Bibles, this might have a heading that says, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And I'm going to begin on verse 17. Scripture says, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. I believe someone here needs to hear that and really focus in on that verse alone. The power of the Lord heals. God heals. God is all-powerful. And when you're in his presence, things shift. We never leave the same than when we came in. So be encouraged by that. Someone, like, you might want to highlight, I don't know, I just really believe, Holy Spirit, even on podcasts, on the podcast, somebody needs to hear that. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. That is a God that we, we worship. That is who you carry the presence of God in you. Go on to verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. My prayer for us today and this morning is that we will leave here with that same awe and wonder. That we have seen remarkable things here. That we've encountered the living God and we will never leave the same. What a story. If you're taking notes and you want to go ahead and put a title on there, let's call this Up on the Rooftop. Up on the Rooftop. I really enjoy visualizing stories like this in the Bible because I think for so many years I read it academically and you just kind of, you could breeze through it and you could get onto the main points, but then it, it's just been so beneficial for me to actually picture these moments, really visualize my, like I'm sitting there and I'm actually seeing what's going on. So I want to paint a picture for you if I could. Here we are and there's this home. Homes back during this time in biblical times, it would have been a lot of Historians and scholars say that it would have been about 18 feet long, so not very big. They also said that maybe you could pack, standing room only, 50 people in one of these homes. The walls of the home would have been made by stone, or with stone, excuse me, and then it would have had a flat roof on it made with straw and clay, another debris. Outside, it would have had a stairway going up to the roof, Humble means, but very practical. But here we come to this home. We don't know whose home it is. And Jesus is there teaching. Word of Jesus is spreading throughout the region like wildfire. He just came back from the other side of the Sea of Galilee, healing people. Delivering people of demons. So word is catching on. People are hearing about this man and they want to come see this man. So here we are in this little home that Jesus comes to teach in and people have come from all over the region. We have Pharisees. We have the teachers of the law that are there. Not really there to listen. Really there to just kind of catch Jesus slipping. But we have all of these people there. They have the crowds that have just heard this buzz. Some of them are genuinely interested and I'm sure some of them want healing. And then there's others that have just come along like, I want to see this. If this is really true, this is going to be really interesting. Let's go find out what this guy is all about. Let's go find out what this Jesus is all about. So you picture we have like six different groups in this kind of setting. All there with a different reason, right? Jesus teaching. You have the Pharisees. And when I picture the Pharisees, I picture them so prim and proper, like they just went and got their robes, you know, pressed and from the dry cleaner, and there they are sitting up front, just no emotion whatsoever, ready to hear this man and to hear him and to catch him and say, like, be able to compare against the law and scripture, what he's saying, just to prove him wrong, to out this man. And then you have the crowd piled in there, spilling out of the door. And of course, the disciples, but then two others. You have a group of these men with their friend on a mat. And here they come, 
So we enter into this house right now, everyone, and Jesus is teaching. And I can imagine him in this very moment teaching about the kingdom and how it's come and trying to actually bring into perspective what the kingdom of God truly is. And then we have the Pharisees, of course, off to the side. I think that there would be even some up front watching, just gazing into his eyes, listening to every little word to see if they could catch him, hang him up on any word. And then you have the crowd, of course, getting anxious and I'm sure uncomfortable. I'm sure it's warm and so everyone packed in this little home. Everyone's uncomfortable, spilling out of the door. People got babies. They're all over the place in this home. And then these guys walk up. Mark actually says that there's four of them. And they walk up with their friend on a mat and they come and they see the crowd coming out of the door and they're like, there's no way we're getting inside here. There's no way at all. I want to pause on that for one moment. Because the people inside, as I read this, I actually saw myself in some of these people at times. I think so many of us in Christianity and in the church, we want a front row seat to see God move. We want to see Jesus. We want to see God perform miracles, right? We want to get in there. And like them, we're, we're there. We're part of the crowd. We're sitting around. We're standing around. And we're just simply watching. So many of us watching and waiting for God to move. And of course, we have our seat. We are ready. I want to see this. Yeah, I'm going to be encouraged. But meanwhile, we actually have an opportunity to take part. To partner with God in what he's doing. But we often prefer just to have the seat instead of being a part of what he's doing. So in this moment, these guys are outside. Back to our story. And we have Jesus continuing to teach, and then all of a sudden you hear a little bit of scurrying on the roof, right? Hear a bit of scratching around. It could be pigeons. Who knows? Maybe that pigeons too then, right? So they hear this kind of shuffling going on on the roof, and I could imagine as a communicator, like people making noise or doing whatever, and you're trying to keep everybody engaged, so Jesus is continuing to talk to everybody, and they keep hearing this noise. And then there's like dust starting to fall. Like, okay, this must be a really big pigeon or something. (laughs) And more dust starts to fall. And you start to hear more and more noise, and it's becoming more and more loud. And I can see the Pharisees sitting there, and all of a sudden dust falls on them, and they're like, for real, I just got this thing cleaned. What's going on here? In the book of Mark, Mark actually says that these guys were digging. Luke makes it sound like they did it all proper. You know, he's a physician, so they made it sound all proper, like they nicely like moved tiles away and created the space in the ceiling. Mark just says that they're digging through. Digging through, and they started to make a hole, and I could see this hole becoming larger and larger, and sun starting to beam in. And the guys on top of the roof, if we panned out, we would see this scene taking place where these four men are on the roof with their friend, and they're like, just keep digging. Who cares whose house it is? We'll just say sorry afterwards. Just do it, right? Just keep digging. And they start digging and digging, and then there they go, and they lower this man in the room. Dust flying everywhere, dust cloud, and here he is laying in front of Jesus, and Jesus just pauses. There's a gasp that goes throughout the crowd, and people are in shock, not only obviously like 
someone just ruined this man's roof. Can you believe that? Who are these guys? But not just because of that. It's because of the man that had been lowered down. The same paralyzed man that they would have noticed from before if they're from that area. They'd seen him day in, day out, laying on his mat. Always. They walked by him and they already had these preconceived notions of what this man had done because during these times, rabbis would actually teach a doctrine that any illness or infirmity or any sickness, anything such as that, it was actually a sign of divine displeasure by God. It was a punishment in their eyes. So you have the dust settling and this man is laying on the ground. But I could see the Pharisees and everyone else saying like, why would you lower this unclean man in front of this teacher? Why are you bringing this man into this place? Don't you know him? I see that guy all the time. That's that sinner. He's he's like that because God made him that way. Why would you bring him into this? Why are you going to ruin someone's roof because of this guy? And the man's just laying there on the ground. And I could just imagine Jesus looking up at the four guys, just thinking, good on you guys. Good for you guys. I see how bad you want this. He looks down at the man, and the Bible tells us that he saw the faith of his friends. And with that, Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. (gasps) Again. What did he just say? Wait, wait, wait. God is the only one that could forgive sins, right? Why would you just tell this man that his sins were forgiven? And Jesus goes on to have dialogue with the Pharisees. He says, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or just say, get up and walk? goes on to tell them, but I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So there's grumbling. Imagine all these people talking, wondering what the heck is going on? Who is this man? And some are like, he's God. He's the Messiah. I could just imagine others saying he must be Elijah. He must be a prophet. He must be someone like that. He has to be doing this in the name of God. And people shuffling around, but then I want to pan back and I want to go back to our scene outside on the roof, sun beating down in the four friends. And there's just enough room in the hole for one of them to stick his head through. So he's looking down, leaning in, like, hold on to me. Leaning in, leaning in further. And then Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. He's like, huh. All right. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he do? Did he he heal him? What happened? What did he say? What did he say? He's like, just... Told them his sins were forgiven. Like, after all this? Please, he's going to heal him, right? We just busted through this guy's roof. I don't even know whose home this is. I'm still standing on the roof. We're going to be in so much trouble. And we brought him through. And we had to, like, come on. He's not the lightest of the guys. He's kind of like a dead weight when we're carrying him around on his mat. And we had to carry him up to the roof and lower him in. And the guy didn't even heal him? But then Jesus tells him, get up, take your mat, and go home. It's interesting because Jesus goes on to tell the Pharisees, he says that uh, 
you know, this whole dialogue about what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. And I believe Jesus was so intentional about mentioning his sins first because he was far more concerned with the man's spiritual condition than he was his physical condition. And what he just said, your sins are forgiven, it doesn't have like a tangible physical reaction on our bodies, right? He wouldn't have, I would have guessed that you wouldn't see like all of a sudden, oh, yep, you could tell his sins are forgiven. Look at him. Looks completely different, right? But what he did next is he told the man to get up and walk. That's when all the weight of what he just said would hit. Because now that can be measured. They know this guy. They know he was lowered in and he was paralyzed. He gets up and he walks away, grabs that mat, praising God, and walks out of there. And his friends are going crazy on the roof finally and probably tripping down the stairs. But that's when they started to see there is something different about this Jesus. What he just said about the sins is, I don't understand this, but he must be right. There must be something more going on here. There's this foundational truth that's displayed in these nine verses. Obviously that God is a healer and God heals us, but he heals both spiritually and physically. He redeems us both spiritually and physically. Jesus, by putting emphasis on your sins are forgiven, he tells us that like what he just did, that wasn't secondary. It's so easy for us to read this and be like, oh no, well this is the story about the guy again, you know, raised up from the mat. That's what it is. But he's actually showing his love and compassion. See, physical healing in itself is a miracle. It's miraculous. And it lasts a lifetime. But what Jesus did for this man is going to last an eternity. There is far much more going on here. So Jesus heals and redeems this man spiritually and physically. He tells him, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. Get up, take your mat, go home. Why didn't Jesus say, just go ahead and get up and walk on out of here? Tell him who sent you, too. When you go out, make sure you tell him about me. But he tells them to pick up the mat. I'm sure it's not like the mat was in the way, that he didn't want the floor cluttered because it was probably all dirty anyways from the roof being broken open. What is it about the mat? For this mat to be in all in Matthew and in Mark, in these three accounts in the Gospels, there has to be something significant about this, or else it wouldn't be in there, right? There's something about this mat. That mat in the very moment, obviously, was a sign of the man's illness, and when Jesus healed him, that mat kind of changed the course of things and became a sign of his healing. So he picked up that mat and folded it under his arm and walked on out of there, and it was part of his testimony. But the mat was far deeper. It wasn't just a mat that this guy laid on. That mat was a symbol of 
his ailment and him being sick. To many people in this culture, that mat was a symbol that this man was a sinner. That mat was an ever-present reminder of shame. That mat was a sign to this man and to anybody else who would have seen him that this man would never walk again. There's so many layers on this. He's a bad person. However, you may want to, you know, figure it out. Like, this is always that people looked at this man because of this mat. But Jesus even redeems the mat. Because the mat was the end of a, a chapter, right? Which would be the turning point in which this man's narrative of his life completely changed. I can't help but want to go back to the, uh, the friends. You know, we consider the whole story. We look at it as a whole, but you can't help but go back to the friends. And I know that so many pre- people have preached sermons strictly just about the friends in this. I think that was the angle that I took last time because I even started singing TLC. What about your friends when I, when I said that? <laughs> Not today, sorry. But there's something about the friends, right? Because scripture tells us that it wasn't the faith of the man that Jesus saw. It was the faith of his friends. Church, a little heart to heart for a second. This is all too often that we dismiss the impact and the influence that our faith can have in others' lives. We constantly belittle our own faith and the impact that it could have. But we see here these four men had this faith, this urgency, this expectation that they're going to bring their friend. They're like, finally, he's coming. It's like some concert you've been waiting for forever, right? Some artist is coming to your local town. You're like, I'm getting tickets. I'm going to see Beyonce, right? I don't care how much it costs. In the same way, these guys would have been like this. Jesus is coming to town. We are bringing him. He's been our best friend for years, and we are going to bring him to see this Jesus like we need to. These guys definitely weren't the friends that when they walked up to this place and they see the line coming out of there, they see the crowds, they weren't the type of friends that would have been like, yo, that's a long line. How about we just go get something to eat instead? Maybe we come back later. Or they get there and they're like, yeah, parking was really difficult. I don't know how we're going to be able to get in. Maybe we just come next time. Maybe Jesus will come back another time and we could get here a little earlier, right? Because you did take a bit longer this morning getting ready, man, and you took forever to meet us there. They weren't willing to stop. Could even see like so many people walking up and seeing the crowd spill out of there and they're just so defeated, walking all this way with their friend and then they see all these people and think, man, we love you. But maybe it, it just wasn't meant to be. But no. The crowds didn't stop them. No one budging out of the way at the door didn't stop them. They saw the crowds and they just went for it. They went for the stairs and 
Went from the door instantly to the roof. They still brought him. This is another thing that I want to touch on for us. Kind of a little heart-to-heart chat with anybody hearing this message. Do we realize that many people will never come to Jesus unless someone brings them? I think that's something we all need to ask ourselves is who have we brought with us? Who are we bringing? Are we those friends? Better yet, who are we surrounding ourselves with? Are we surrounding our friend, or excuse me, are surrounding ourselves with friends who are full of faith and expectation, or ones who are simply just accepting us because they love us and they're our friends? I love how Charles Spurgeon put this. He said, "A little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but a great faith will bring heaven to your soul." Church, that's who I want to be around. That's the people I want surrounding me. I want people that have that faith and expectation. And maybe when my faith one day, you know, whenever it's day of the week, if it runs dry and I just don't have the faith to move on or to step, you know, one foot in front of the other, that my friends will rally behind me and speak life into me. And then tell me to continue to press on, continue going. I have your back. I'm praying with you and I'm going to encourage you. We're going to do this together. circle back from the friends. Now I want to go back to the man. The man that picked up his mat. Reason being, this story actually hits, you know, I guess strikes kind of close to home for me. Uh, Reason being, six years ago, actually on my birthday six years ago, I was praying this prayer, so I'd come to this place where I was I felt like I made a lot of big strides in life and I was really trying to be obedient to God and I was like, okay, God, I'm going to go to Bible college and I'll get really involved in church and do all, I'm going to be obedient and do all this stuff and I, and I was, but I kept praying this prayer and this actually was a prayer that was quite similar. I would say that this prayer was something I prayed for years and years. It was a little like this. God, I just want more. I want more of you. And I want to see you move through my life. I know you've called me to something greater, but like I'm ready for it. I want to see it. I want to do this. I know who you've said I am, even though I still really, really struggle with that. And I have this battle going on inside of me. But I, I know who you say I am, at least. And I'm, I'm ready to step into that. Like, help me to do this, God. Open the doors. Do whatever you got to do. Send somebody Give me an answer. Do something. I want to do this. And this was a prayer that I prayed. I'm not exaggerating for years. God, I want to be anointed. Send your, you know, just send your anointing all over me. Ordain me to do your work. God, I want greater things. I want to experience this, God. And it was crazy because on my birthday, it was six years ago, and I was in our apartment in Australia on the 15th floor, and I was in the bedroom by myself, kind of having this quiet time with God, the morning of my birthday, praying this prayer. And then I just, as clear as day, hear this still voice. This voice that said, 
pray. Get up. Pick up your mat and go. Like, that's random. (laughs) What does that have to mean to me, though, God? And then I just hashed it out with him for a few minutes. I started crying my eyes. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, I've already done it all. Everything that you're asking for, I've already done it. You just, you need to get up. You have to just get up, get up and take your mat and go on your way. Step into what I've done. You're just waiting. And all the while, for years upon years upon years, I was polarized by like waiting for this divine permission from God. Waiting for this literal key to drop out of heaven onto my lap and say, okay, now I can go through this door. Waiting for God himself to show up in the doorway and be like, hey, hey, Craig, this way, over here. I was waiting for God to pick me up when he actually wanted me to partner with him and me to actually respond and get up myself. So my mat was doubt, it was insecurity. I have this little mat here that Karina graciously gave us as a gift for the beach. So this mat for me was a mat that I actually got quite used to and I actually started to accept it as part of myself. This was a mat that I grew up and I thought I would never measure up and it was always going to be a challenge. Everything was always going to be difficult and God was there but at Was he really going to do this? Like he was going to have to pull me up off this mat. He was going to have to do something miraculous, right? And so this mat was sitting there and I was on it. And year in, year out, I was crying out and I was praying to God, asking God, I want more. I want more. The same prayer, same prayer. God, I want you to move miraculously through my life. I want more of you, God. I hear people talk about this. I see people doing this. I want to have this relationship with you. You put this in my heart. Is this dream going to ever come to pass? But I'm here. This mat was my fear. It was my insecurities. It was this need for permission and affirmation and all these things just to get up. I was praying like God was standing still for years. Like he was stagnant. I actually think so many of us do the same thing. But God is never stagnant. God is never at a standstill. It's us who are. So I was waiting for this miracle and crying out for this miracle to take place. And then that morning he told me, let's get up, take that mat and go. So this morning for all of us, for anyone that's going to be hearing this, our mats all look a little different. This mat could symbolize your story to this point. Maybe it symbolizes your current circumstance that you're in. Maybe a decision you made in the past or something that you're going to have to make. For so many people, I believe that the mat is actually our identity. 
so often it's our identity out of relationship with God too. It's fitting God in, but it's what we want to build our identity on. It's our mindsets. It could even be like unhealthy habits that we have. Maybe it's what's keeping us from walking in the fullness of what our relationship with God could actually look like. Maybe it's the thing we always go back to. Maybe it's the portions of our lifestyle that we never really wanted to give up because we just didn't see the need to when God's like, I want more of you. And for more, you know, you have to give up some. Like the man who was healed, there was a response. Jesus very clearly asked him, get up. Tells him to take your mat and go. Family, what Jesus has done for us deserves a response as well. In fact, I believe it really demands a response, but it really is up to us what we want to do. And there's responses either we take it and we receive this love and this grace. So many ways when we decide to get up, to take this thing, fold it up, place it under our arms, and walk away. We're able to step into freedom. We're able to step into life the way that God has intended it to be. See, this mat was a symbol that kept that man confined. It was a symbol of every reason and everything that would have kept him confined. But later, after experiencing and encountering Jesus, this mat became proof that his life had been redefined. So what's your mat? What have you been sitting back on and constantly going back to? What is it that we need to actually just stand up and pick that thing up and put it on our arm and walk out of that room? Our mat becomes our testimony. And I know it could be a silly, like, you know, just kind of a, like a metaphor of this, but it, it actually is so true because we all have these mats that hold us back. We all have these things that hold us back. And we're waiting, waiting, waiting. Or some of us, we're just like, we're, we're on the fence and we made a decision, but we really enjoy doing this too. And I just feel like I can't give you all of me, God, because I really enjoy this. Or God, I, I enjoy all the blessing and the physical healing that, you know, is attached to being in a relationship with you. But the spiritual side, ah, I don't know, because I can't really see it. So I don't know if I really put a whole lot of weight behind it. And we're in this place of juggling when all we have to do is to stand. Make that decision to respond and to stand and to take that mat. And like that man who took it and walked out of there, he was lowered in a prisoner combined to that probably three, four by six mat. 
He walked out of there redeemed and a free man. He walked out an overcomer. He walked out a man with a testimony that he had experienced the grace of God, the love of God. He had experienced spiritual healing because God saw his heart and wanted to heal him. He experienced spiritual healing, but he also experienced physical healing. That map became his testimony. The very last verse says that they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Imagine how many people were impacted by what took place in that little home. Imagine all the stories that spread like wildfire, all those 50 odd people, even the Pharisees, anyone that heard and everyone that saw and got a glimpse of this man. Maybe some of them were outside and they saw these four guys walking this guy on a mat and were like, what is going on? And 20 minutes later, they see the guy walking out with the mat underneath his arm, crying his eyes out, praising God because he had just been healed. Imagine the countless, countless people that got to hear this story of a living God who is living, hello, and is a healer. Family, that is what your mat is doing. Your mat is a story waiting to happen. It's your testimony waiting to take place. Today is a day. Stand. Grab your mat and walk in freedom because the work has been done already. It's already been done. He's already given it to you. He's already poured his grace and his love out on you. And we keep asking for more more. God, I want to experience your love. He's like, what are you doing? Like, I got it for you, right? You Just get up. Get out of your old ways. Maybe you need to do something a little different. Maybe you need some new friends. Maybe you need to surround yourself with different people. Today is the day. Today is the day. Church, today is the day for your mat to become your testimony.